Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings of one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and I am recording this week's episode with the amazing Aaron Adams on Thursday, October 20th, 2022. So we're roughly a week out from Halloween. Are, are, are we decorating Casa Adams for, for <laughs> no. All Hallows' Eve? No? no, it's always a horror show in this house, so we don't uh, have to decorate. Okay, okay. Yeah, Nancy and I don't honestly make the effort as well, largely because I think in the 25 years that we've been together, we got trick-or-treaters once. Anyway, given that we're a week out from Halloween, kind of appropriate that we have some Agatha Harkness-related news. That witchy Marvel character who made her Disney Plus debut back in January of 2021 on WandaVision and then went on to earn her portrayer, uh, Catherine Hahn, an Emmy nomination for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a limited series or anthology or movie, is now getting her own limited series, Agatha, Coven of Chaos. And Brooke Geiger McDonald chatted up uh, Ms. Hahn as she walked on the red carpet at this year's Chicago International Film Festival earlier this week. And Brooke asked Catherine for an update on this WandaVision spinoff. And Han revealed and said, we're in the middle of getting the coven ready and it's going to be very delicious. We start shooting in about a month. So I, I myself am I'm really looking forward to Agatha, Coven of Chaos. Also because who else is rumored to be part of that show, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, during the news portion of today's podcast. And as always, the news portion of Marvel Us Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Now, before we, we jump in here, Aaron, have you been paying attention to all of the casting news over the past week? Which casting news specifically? This ties in with Ironheart, which, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, again, another limited series Marvel Studios is doing for Disney+. Plus. It's been shooting in Atlanta since June. Was Ironheart coming before or after Armor Wars? I want to say it's coming before. Okay, so it could be a catalyst for, okay, go ahead. Okay, because uh, again, the Riri Williams character uh, will be making her MCU debut next month. She's a featured character in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever being portrayed by Dominic Thorne, and Disney is looking for different ways to raise awareness of the Black Panther sequel. So there's a new Target ad, which just dropped back on Tuesday this week, uh, which is actually built around the Riri Williams character, uh, showing her serving as the inspiration for this young black girl who's taking out a project in her science class. And again, it's just, you know, Disney doesn't miss a promotional angle ever. Anyway, Ironheart's been shooting in Atlanta, Chicago. Production should normally be winding down at this point. Again, it's a limited series, but Marvel Studios recently announced a few new additions to the Ironheart cast. We have Paul Calderon of Pulp Fiction and Bosch fame. He's coming to this limited series in an undisclosed role. That news comes by way of Deadline.com. Likewise, Sonia Dennis, who recently scored an Emmy nomination for her writing on HBO's A Black Lady Sketch Show, has also joined the cast of Ironheart in a yet-to-be-revealed role. And that news comes by way of variety. So, Ironheart, six episodes, 
posted debut in the fall of 2023. So, so Aaron, at this point, we're a year out, really, from seeing anything that's been shot in Chicago and, and Atlanta over the past five months. They better be hour-long episodes, otherwise I'm already feeling cheated. Well... But again, we're going to get to meet Dominic Sriri, who's supposed to be this genius inventor who's created the most advanced suit of armor since Iron Man in Wakanda Forever. And in that section of the MCU timeline, Riri is this brilliant kid studying at MIT up in Boston. Not sure what happens, but where the story picks up with Ironheart, uh, Ms. Williams is back in her old neighborhood in Chicago, where she's now interacting with Anthony Ramos's character, Parker Robbins. Now, does that name ring a bell to you at all? Not at all. No. All right. This character in the Marvel comics made his debut back in July of 2002. Robbins, who was just originally a petty criminal, somehow gets the upper hand in a battle with a demon, who's then forced to surrender his hood and boots to Parker. And once Robbins puts these out. I I'm just on. imagining the scene from the Terminator. Give me your clothes. <laughs> I want your jacket and your sunglasses. I have defeated the demon. I will now gain your powers. I am level four Terminator. <laughs> okay. It just sounds ludicrous when you just read it so point blank like that. I'm sure it looked great in the comics, right? Mm -hmm. It always looks great in the comics. But when you just read the bullet points, sounds kind of silly. But go ahead, it, please. It, it does. And, and now I really want to see Anthony do... Schwarzenegger, but okay. Right, yeah. okay. All right, once Robbins puts these items on, he gains superpowers, such as levitation and invisibility. Parker gets his superpowers through supernatural means, magic, whereas Riri gets her superpowers through tech and her own good old-fashioned know-how. So this is what's supposed to make Ironheart different from all of the other limited series that, that Marvel Studios produced for Disney Plus today. It's supposed to be the very first show where characters who have very different sources for the superpowers, tech and magic, face off. And I'm not sure if I actually buy into that sort of creative conceit, you know, that this is going to be the first show with a tech and magic face off, because didn't that happen in Avengers Infinity War with Doctor Strange? And if he wasn't tangling with Thanos, he was dealing with Tony Stark or Peter Quill. Well, I mean, you put Doctor Strange up against anyone, and it's because he's like one of the only magicians, so it would be magic versus X, whatever his opponent is. Yeah, but yeah. I think the point that they're driving at, more mm -hmm. or less, is if you look at Iron Man One as a film, mm -hmm. it was an Iron Man suit versus a bigger Iron Man suit. Yep. If you look at the Incredible Hulk, it was a Hulk versus an Abomination, just mm -hmm. a, another Hulk type thing. Mm -hmm. If you look at Ant Man, it was Ant Man versus the Yellow Jacket, which also shrunk down, many mm -hmm. versus many. So usually when you have the origin story, and, mm -hmm. it, and it does go to even to Doctor Strange because he was doing magic versus magic. Mm -hmm. So in their origin stories, it's usually them plus a photocopy of them mm -hmm. in photo negative. I'm the good version of Mini-Me, you're the bad version of Mini-Me, so goes the plot to, to Ant-Man, mm -hmm. right? So I think in that sense, they're saying, we've done this formula so many times, and I think they even brought it up in She-Hulk about mm -hmm. how formulaic some of these things can end up being. True. And Kevin replied with, who is saying these things? I'm saying these things, Kevin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, they can be formulaic in, in those extents. So normally, if you do have a girl who's building a tech suit, she's usually got a best buddy who's also mm -hmm. building a tech suit, and then they have a tiff, and then they have a tech fight. 
Mm-hmm. And that's not the case in this. It's, it's going to be tech versus magic right okay. from the get-go. And uh, she's not tested her suit yet, right? Maybe. Uh, or maybe in Black Panther she'll get to test a little bit. Who knows? But it is a, a different tweak mm-hmm. on their normal introduction show formula. Thank you for using the word introduction. Because what also is supposed to make Ironheart special is that once Parker Robbins acquires his magical powers, this former petty thief becomes a well-known figure in Chicago's criminal underworld and eventually forms his own crime syndicate, which is when his activities reportedly catch the attention of another Marvel Comics character who has magical abilities. Mephisto? Am I saying that name right? Yeah, Mephisto. Now, okay, so Mephisto... Way back when Disney Plus was starting mm-hmm. and we, we were getting our very first WandaVision. Right. There was always a rumor, oh, Mephisto's in the background, guys. Mephisto's coming up next episode. I can't wait. Oh, did you see it? That was a hint towards Mephisto. I know it. Mm-hmm. I know it. I know it. Mm-hmm. And it didn't happen. Like, Mephisto sure. never showed up. Okay. And then I don't know what the next one was. It could have been Loki. But it seemed like there were two or three Disney Plus Mm-hmm. Marvel shows mm-hmm. where people go, oh, guys, Mephisto, Mephisto, right around the corner. They're hinting at it. They're hinting at it, and and it's never ever happened. So now that they're, you know, we've got it. Mm-hmm. Is this confirmed? I, I brought up Mephisto because over the past week, the internet has blown up over the news that Sasha Baron Cohen of Borat fame, fame has reportedly been cast for a role in the MCU, and this is a role that supposed to be prominently featured in several upcoming projects, reportedly Ironheart and Agatha, Coven of Chaos. Well, the Agatha connection isn't so bad, but let's back up. Most people, I think, when they heard the Sasha Baron Cohen Mm. connection in that story, immediately did a Borat impersonation in their head. They go, that's nice, or whatever Mm. the Borat thing was. Mm Mm-hmm. And they and immediately laughed off the idea of him playing the character because he's so associated with Borat. But mm-hmm. he's a very, very versatile actor. He is. Who he is. is very chameleon-like. And part mm-hmm. of his shtick mm-hmm. is the fact that he can do some deep makeup and mm-hmm. become a different person entirely mm-hmm. and fool people. And I think that's one of the charms of the Mephisto connection of it. Once mm-hmm. you get past the stupid Borat impersonation that you're doing in your head, mm-hmm. that's actually a very brilliant choice of actor for that role. Mm-hmm. And even if you look at like, I don't want to say he's got like a long face, like the old joke of the horse. Hey, why the long face? But it's it's slender, it's narrow, it's angular. Mm-hmm. And if you look at all of the drawings of Mephisto, he's got some of those same characteristics. You oh, know? absolutely. And, yeah. and I think he he looks the part. He could definitely play the part. And uh, Marvel hasn't made too many horrible choices when mm-hmm. picking an actor for a character. They mm-hmm. see something there. And I think they're accurate. Well, that is the talk, that Cohen's been cast as Mephisto and that this magic versus tech thing will be a very big part of the MCU going forward with this particular concept storyline weaving its way through phase five and six. So again, going to be interesting to see how this pays out. That's another thing that we should address very briefly that you said, that this is playing out over phases five and six. Mm -hmm. So Mephisto is a pretty big, big bad guy, right? Right. In the olden day, you had your solo movies with a solo bad guy, but uh, mm-hmm. behind it all was just Thanos as the big bad leading up to the Infinity Wars. I get the feeling that besides Kang, mm-hmm. we're going to have some other big baddies that are going to linger around for more than just an episode or more than just a movie and then disappear quietly into the night. We mm-hmm. might have several big bads 
that do things that all lead to one huge event. And so instead of having a Thanos and his army for everybody to battle, mm-hmm. they're going to have a, an army of bad guys, of villains, and Kang leading the way. Mm-hmm. That everyone has to overcome as well, which may make for that. You know, you said that in an earlier episode that they wanted to do a bigger battle than Infinity yeah. War and mm-hmm. Endgame. Well, that's how you do it: is you you add more bad guys. You know, you've got all the good guys. Now you add more bad guys, and voila, bigger instead of just Thanos and and random baddies. Right. Interesting. Okay. Now the trades have reached out, and reps at Marvel Studios and reps for. Sasha Baron Cohen are refusing to comment on any of the news in regard to Cohen possibly being cast in Pisto for any future MCU project. So, well, that's quite obviously because they've got duct tape over their mouth and a bag over their head, thanks to the Marvel PR there team. There we go. There we go. Marvel's equivalent of Seal Team Six. So, yep. Yep. Uh, apologies, folks, but we're probably going to have to wait till fall of 2023, which is again when Iron Man and Agatha Coven of, of Chaos are both supposed to debut on Disney Plus. That said, one piece of casting news which our Marvel Studios initially dismisses a rumor. The company is now happy to admit is the real deal, and we I think we talked about this on, on the last show about Harrison Ford replacing the late William Hurt as General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross coming into the MCU, and he's uh, officially going to make his debut in this role opposite Anthony Mackie in Captain America New World Order. Right now, we're, we're going to call out to our friend Pascal in Canada, mm-hmm. and I'm going to say... What if he shows up in the Thunderbolts movie, Pascal? What about that? Huh? 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 Because <laughs> he, he was telling me he only showed up once in the comics. All he, He's not really associated with him. But what if they make him associated with it? That only makes sense. He's got the same name, right? Come on. Yeah, Love we, you, Pascal. We, okay. Now, again, we are talking about things that are kind of over the horizon here. That, that MCO film... Currently slated to produce the theaters in May of 2024, doesn't even begin shooting till March of next year. Uh, uh, Julius Ona will be directing, and much of the production will be happening down in Atlanta, as as is typical for the Marvel Studios productions at Trilith Studios. Uh, that said, it will be nice to see Anthony Mackie, who, who did such a good job with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which debuted on Disney Plus back in March of 2021, Getting to continue his his Cap storyline, I, I especially like that this time it's going to be up on the big screen. But I was kind of hoping by now, Aaron, that we'd have some news about whether Moon Knight, which debuted on Disney Plus just six months ago, whether that would be continuing on in some form in, in the MCU, whether up on the big screen or as a, uh, a second season for this acclaimed limited series and in a recent interview with comicbook.com, Oscar Isaac, who who played Mark Spector and then all of his alters, admitted that there have already been some discussions with Marvel Studios about what they could possibly next do with the Moon Knight character. And nothing definite, mind you, just polite talk up, to, up until this point. Here's, here's the exact quote from Isaacs. It's like, there have been some specific conversations. They were pleasant. The spelling of the details is there are no details to share at this point. We, we don't know if there'll be a second season of the show yet, but we're talking about it. So kind of your your classic no answer answer. You know, somewhere at Marvel Studios, they've got a room and it's like the classic where the guy went crazy and he's got the pictures up with the string attaching all the different connections. And mm-hmm. just listen to me, guys. It's a conspiracy over here. You know, so what they've got are actual Marvel storylines and characters that are attached with thread to them. And right now, Moon Knight doesn't have a piece of thread connecting to anything. And they're like, well, we could put him here. 
Mm-hmm. Or we could put them here. Mm-hmm. But they do know specifically, like, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania's got Kang in it. And mm-hmm. I think that's a direct path straight up to Secret Wars, right? That's like a main highway with no off-ramps going mm-hmm. to that that direction. Mm-hmm. Whereas Moon Knight, he's on dirt roads right now, off in the woods, with mm-hmm. a map going, where the hell are we going, guys? I don't know. I think we should go left. Where, where do you guys want to go? You want to go right? And uh, they they just haven't decided the path for him to get to the place that they want him to go just yet because right now all the all the pieces are all in motion except for like 10. Hmm. And it's kind of like, do you jump on that train while it's moving or do you jump in that taxi while it's moving? But everything's in motion. I love that you have him on a dirt road because all I can think of is that end credit scene where we get to see Mark as an altar we hadn't seen up until that point as a limo right. driver. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, come on, you can't do that. There's more to explore. You just told us. On the other hand, we go from your classic no answer answer to now the news coming off of the now completed She-Hulk Attorney Law. And remember, for months now, we've been talking about how this limited series at Disney had some behind-the-scenes trouble as they struggled with what's the right tone here, how much breaking of the fourth wall is too much breaking of the fourth wall. But now that She-Hulk has officially stuck the landing, both series star Titania Maslany, did I finally pronounce that right? There you go, Maslany, yeah. Okay, it, it only, the show had to be over before I could finally say it right. Ms. Lonnie, Ms. Lonnie, damn it. Uh, and then Jennifer Gao, this limited series creator, they had, these two ladies have been super chatty about what, what actually went on behind the scenes in the creation of this limited series. I mean, take, for example, that whole Kevin, the person in charge of the MCU, the gag in the show that actually a robot, super intelligent algorithm, to hear Titania talk, Kevin Feige was was very much on board with this idea that spoofed his own role at, at Marvel Studios, that he immediately got the joke and quickly embraced the whole meta idea that Mislani's Jennifer Walters She-Hulk character would then serve as the the voice of the Marvel fans and ask all of the, the questions that we've been wanting to ask Kevin about what's going on with the MCU. So when it came time to lock the look For Kevin the Robot, Feige reportedly briefly fought with Gao when it came to what this character would look like. To be specific, Jennifer wanted Kevin the Robot, the AI, to be wearing Feige's ever-present baseball cap, and Kevin balked at this for a bit. And so Jennifer describes that, in this big meeting, in front of 20 people, I said, Kevin, if you're not going to let me put a hat on that robot, then I quit. There was like a split-second pause, and then Feige says, well, thank you very much, Jessica. You've done some great work for us, and we really appreciate everything. Uh, <laughs> but I guess at this point, uh, the the visual development supervisor, Suze Jackson, who did all the visual de- de- development on She-Hulk, mm. uh, came up with a compromise. So the idea was that they would they tweak the design of Kevin the robot so there would be a piece of metal that stuck out over his three-lens eye doohickey that sort of looked like the brim of a baseball cap and so you know so everybody and the semicircle behind it sure gave that dome head appearance uh, behind <laughs> it yeah it did it did now some people you know there's always a complainer and a hater or whatever mm-hmm. and uh they thought the gag where she busts out of the disney plus menu was too much mm-hmm. too too gaggy yep and uh there are people who would post in response to mm-hmm. that then you don't know the character because there's a comic book where she 
ripped herself out of the page of the comic to bitch at the writer for having a bad ending. I just saw it. Is this the one that actually has her busting through the cover? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I love that this whole idea did get tied back to the original comics. But right. And again, what, one of the uh, the elements that I loved about the, the finale of uh, season one of She-Hulk was the scene in the backyard with Matt Murdock showing up mm. to sit down with the Walters family. And uh, with production of Daredevil Born Again supposedly getting underway February of next year. Maslani is uh, reportedly checking in regularly with Chris Cox about when she should be reporting for work on that Marvel Studios production for Disney+. Plus. It's weird. She's also been seen buying a lot of lip gloss lately. Mm. <laughs> Where, hey, has anyone seen Matt Murdock? Mm. <laughs> well, she, she goes on to say, I keep texting him, like, am I required on set today? And, and he's like, we'll let you know by lunch. But he keeps putting it off. I'm, I've been waiting outside the set in my She-Hulk costume. So just put me in, coach. And She's now pitching ideas. Hey, what if uh, She-Hulk decides she doesn't necessarily want to be an attorney, but more like a personal masseuse? Uh, you know, like I, I could do learn to do a deep Swedish massage. Hey, Charlie Cox, let's get him on the phone. See how he feels about deep Swedish massage. <sighs> I, I, I just again, given what great chemistry the, these characters had in the penultimate episode when Daredevil and She-Hulk teamed up to take down the what, what was his name again? The frog character, the the oh super yeah, I I have no idea. Yeah, that, that, that I was went. just happy that they put Daredevil in broad daylight in his costume, so I can mm. get a really good look at the color scheme because it's red and yellow with stripes of gray. And the stripes of gray is what what caught me off guard was like, oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, it looks really, really good. I wonder if they're going to keep that design for the Daredevil Reborn. Well, speaking of which, on the second half of today's show, we're going to talk about where this character goes from here. Anybody who's listened to Marvelous Disney up until this point knows that Aaron is a big fan of, of Daredevil. I mean, is it both the comic as well as the Netflix show? Or how far does our love go back for the, for <laughs> the man who has no fear? Well, because Spidey and Matt both inhabit New York City. Daredevil seemed to crisscross through Spider-Man's path in mm -hmm. the comic books quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So just through those tenuous connections there, he was like one of the earlier introductions of another hero that, that wasn't Spider-Man specifically related. And so, um, yeah, I, I had a few of the comic books, and but I didn't collect them regularly. I would just kind of go by what cover looked cool, or if someone recommended a specific storyline, I'd pick up an issue or two here and there. And, and that was about it. But like when the movie came out with uh, Ben Affleck playing Daredevil, like... Working at the radio station, we had premieres, so we would see these, you know, a day or two before they actually came out to the public and then do reviews and all that jazz. And at the time, we really did enjoy the Daredevil movie for what it was because we didn't have a lot to compare it to at the time. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. well, that could have been worse, right? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> when, when you're coming out of the theater going, that could have been worse. It's not the greatest starting off point. No, no, but no. I ended up seeing the extended version, the unedited, or well, the, the director's cut, I guess, of mm-hmm. that particular Daredevil movie. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a much stronger movie. It is longer in the sense that, yeah, you don't get to spin it as many times in the theater mm-hmm. per day. So you won't make as much money per day, mm-hmm. but it's a better movie. And I think it would have stayed longer in the theater had they kept it intact that way. And that's an argument for another day. But it, I, it, there was a lot of subplots, a lot of B storylines that that help inform you of the character. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess what intrigues me is if you drill down into the credits of this film, which you're right, I, I came out in 2003. It was uh, written and directed by Mark Stephen Johnson, who uh, previously, I'm again, kind of an interesting choice. Because his earlier successes were uh, Grumpy Old Men uh, from 1993 and then its sequel, Grumpier Old Men. And so it's like, if I were working the list of who to have direct Daredevil, I don't know if if that would have been the guy, but this film came out from Regency. And they liked what they saw enough to bring Mark Stevens back to direct the pseudo-sequel, Electra in 2005. And then Ghost Rider with Nicolas Cage in 2007. So he did, for a time, carve out a niche for himself in the superhero movie world. But again, what's intriguing, remember, is Ghost Rider comes out in 2007, and one year later, the MCU gets underway with the one-two punch of Iron Man and, and Incredible Hulk, and what, within six weeks of one another in 2008? We never credited uh, in She-Hulk hmm. the line from the Hulk when he's on the phone where hmm. she, uh, she says, yeah, but he tried to kill you, you tore up you know, Harlem, and hmm. he says the line, yeah, but back then I was a different person, literally. <laughs> and I was like, man, they really <laughs> swung for the fences on that one. Okay, yeah, go for it. Yeah. I, but I, just to double back for a moment about Daredevil is that there are a number of Marvel characters that we know and love today. You know, Captain America or uh, Namor the Submariner, who's just now going to make his debut in Black Panther or Wakanda forever. But there's also this weird window of time in the early 1960s, where it's like there's this white hot thing that's happening at Marvel, you know, between Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and, and the crew there. But, you know, we get the original Fantastic Four, number one, comes out November of 61. First issue of Incredible Hulk comes out May of 62. Spider Man is introduced in Amazing Fantasy 15 in August of 62. Thor makes his debut in the exact same month in, in Journey into Mystery 83, so August of 62. Then Iron Man is March of 63. And then right behind these guys, here comes Daredevil number one, uh, the first issue of that comic in April of 64. So it, inside of, of three years, you get all of these amazing characters from Marvel you know, stepping onto the canvas. What was in the water cooler in the building to make that happen? So we have our Daredevil movie in 2003. We have our Electra sequel in 2005. And then Regency's movie rights revert to Marvel. And this is when we get the Daredevil series over at Netflix that Drew Goddard and a road hurt on it. And Drew, for, for those of you who don't remember, this is the guy who wrote for Buffy and Angel and Alias and Lost. He was also the guy behind the original Cloverfield movie. 
Now, be- right before he mm-hmm. did this project, right before he got attached to Daredevil, he directed Cabin in the Woods, which he co-wrote with Joss Whedon, who had already done Avengers oh, at that point. Okay. And I think because they're, they're tight, they've worked together for a long time in mm-hmm. their career, especially, you know, when, like you said, with Buffy and Angel, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- those are Joss projects that he mm-hmm. worked with him on. So while Joss has been doing Marvel, Drew was right mm-hmm. next to him like, hey, man, uh, throw me a bone. <laughs> what you got and so i really was not surprised to see when he became attached to daredevil mm-hmm. it's like yeah i get that it seems like uh the dude that's been hanging around the lot that hasn't mm-hmm. had the gig yet is like mm-hmm. hey come on throw me a bone give me mm-hmm. a thing and everybody knows him because he's attached to people already mm-hmm. that are on the crew or on the staff or on the payroll it's easier to go yeah come on in dude you're good Interesting. I had not made that connection. Okay, so rights revert to Marvel in 2012. Development begins in 2013, and Drew decides, pitches it to Marvel, and, and they get behind the idea. It's going to be a darker take on the character that they're going to model the show after specifically crime films of the 1970s. Did, did you get that vibe when you, you were watching this on Netflix, or...? Well, I did get the sense that they were allowing themselves to mm-hmm. go darker and and be more violent. You know, in comparison, like the very first, I want to say two Spider-Man films, he never throws a punch. He's always mm-hmm. dodging or webbing, mm-hmm. but he never actually physically punches a person. And so in comparison, Daredevil mm-hmm. had a hallway scene in both season one and season two, mm-hmm. where it was like a minute and a half continuous unbroken shot of daredevil just pummeling the bejesus out of 19 criminals in a long extended hallway scene Mm -hmm. that was just a sheer delight for those that are fans of like martial arts choreography Mm -hmm. you know i mean if you can tell if something is cut to within an inch of its life where it's just clip 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 Mm -hmm. that they practice like a pose but they never really understood martial arts whereas you watch Keanu Reeves in The Matrix, mm-hmm. that dude knows martial arts because they did extended scenes where he fought for like a good 30 seconds without taking a cut. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, that's like the difference with, and we made this comment earlier also about Daredevil. Like, mm-hmm. man, they could fight. And in Iron Fist, the fights were not good. And he was supposed to be like the best. I can't remember what martial art it was based off of. It was like Kung Fu or whatever, but he was supposed to be the best. And he almost always lost to a henchman until he decided to bring out the iron fist. And it's like, come on, daredevil would beat the living Krasinski's out of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just, it was, it was good. It was dark. It was gritty. And, and they allowed it to be violent and uh, not be so remorseful or have to coddle, you know, children, you shouldn't use punches to solve your arguments. There was none of that safety net that you would normally see in place. All right. So we, we get our first season of Daredevil on Netflix. All of the episodes for season one drop on April 10th, 2015. And then less than 11 months later, we get the second season dropping in March of 2016. And then, interesting you bring up Iron Fist, because we then, in August of 2017, got The Defenders, which you made the Avengers connection between Joss and, and Drew. So... You know, I wonder if that was sort of the the inspiration going into this, like, you know, we can do something cool like that, too, only... Oh, I mean, they, they obviously brought in, you know, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones and Iron Fist all had their separate shows all taking mm-hmm. place in New York City within blocks of one another, technically speaking, in the Marvel Universe. And mm-hmm. from day one, 
It was if Daredevil works, just like if Iron Man works, <laughs> the blueprint is going to lead to, for them, it was Avengers, for us, it's Defenders. <laughs> and they obviously succeeded with season one of, of Daredevil. And then all of the other shows came out, and they all did well, with the exception of Iron Fist. And it's like, well, three out of four ain't bad, but we need to get to Defenders, so let's let's limp along with this one weak spot. But the other three were perfectly strong. Okay. So there's no reason that they, they couldn't do it. And it turned out, it, overall, it turned out very, very well. So again, we, we get Defender Series, August of 2017. We, we get a third season of Daredevil uh, launching in October of 2018. And then one month later, Netflix cancels Daredevil. I think at this point, Marvel sort of raised its hands. It's like, we'd like the rights back now. And as we've mentioned previously on the show, this involved waiting for those rights to revert. And, and, and in the meantime, though, uh, December of last year, uh, Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio reprised their, their roles as Matt Murdock and Wilson Fisk, Kingfin, in MCU projects for Marvel Studios. In fact, what was interesting is they both basically dropped for holiday of last year. We got Kingpin finally showing up as the big bad in Hawkeye. And likewise, we had Matt Murdock show up as Peter Parker's lawyer in Spider-Man No Way Home. And evidently by March of just this past year, when the, the rights to Daredevil officially shifted back, Disney Plus announced the new series Daredevil Born Again. And... So uh, before we wrap up here, Aaron, and having you know seen the original movie with Ben Affleck and having seen all three seasons of Daredevil over at Netflix plus The Defenders, and having just seen what was done for She-Hulk, what would you like to see uh, Marvel Studios do going forward with Matt Murdock with, with Daredevil Born Again? The one thing that in, in the... Uh Netflix version that we really didn't get a lot of were those four specific heroes that make up the Defenders mm -hmm. did not get to interact with any of the other MCU. They were 100% separated by a gate mm -hmm. that was called the Netflix deal or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so now that Matt is obviously been in Spider-Man, he's been in She-Hulk, we are getting to see what I'm hoping for more of is more interaction within the MCU with the other characters because a lot of the uh, fun moments within the MCU happen in team-up issues mm -hmm. where Spidey and Daredevil go on an adventure together or when Wolverine and Hulk battle. You know, that was always a great thing. You just love to pit your heroes against one another every once in a while or or get them to go off on a fun adventure. I mean, we just had an adventure, comic book-wise, that was very successful of Black Cat and Mary Jane. Mm -hmm. And it was just the two girls being two girls on an adventure. And it was it was cool. So I think now that he's within the MCU, we'll get to interact more with it in a in a more proper way. But in the same notion, I've also complained about Spider-Man. Like, he's always got to have someone next to him. He can't just have a solo Spider-Man adventure. Why has he always got to have, like, Sam Jackson there or mm -hmm. or Tony Stark or, or whomever? Because I wanted Spider-Man just to have his own freaking thing for a, a minute. The difference is, though, Spider-Man's always been contained in a movie that's two hours long, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you've put other characters in there and it's, yeah, it feels crowded because your, your time constraint is different, but 
here in Daredevil Reborn, it's going to be over a series of, of how many episodes did we have? An insane number, wasn't it? Like 16? I want to say, yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a surprisingly large um, commitment for the show. Right. So in, in that sense, you're going to be spending more time with the character where he's he's going to have, you know, solo time, downtime where he's just him. I want to see interaction with Foggy. You got to bring back uh, Foggy Nelson, right? <laughs> okay. uh, all, the, all the characters that were from the Netflix series need to come back. I mean, the girl that played Electra was fantastic in that series. Maybe find a way to bring her back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, bring bring back everybody that we love from the original Netflix series, and then let it be as violent as you want to be, because mm. Daredevil is a punch you and beat you with sticks kind of person. Mm. So there should be repercussions for violence. People should get damaged and hurt because mm-hmm. that's the way it happens. So uh, yeah. Let it, let it be a, a darker territory of the MCU. And it also, the, if you allow for there to be a little bit of blood in uh, your Daredevil series, you allow for a hell of a lot of blood for Punisher when he comes around. And then when Wolverine gets back into the scene, we uh, can have claws that, that aren't bloodless after they maim 30 people. There's not a drop of blood the whole time. I'm like, really? I guess people are made of air. They should have went like a balloon and farted away. Whenever Wolverine poke because they don't bleed, mm-hmm. they're just full of air, I guess. Anyway, uh, yeah, if if you're gonna have violence, let it be impactful. Let it mean something because I think you know it's kind of like the opposite of if you don't show the blood, if you don't show people getting injured, then it makes it less. Uh, well, oh, I can go out and punch someone, and that's all right. If I don't agree with them, I can just whop them because there's no repercussions. It's all like the pretend movies. And I, I no, I, I think you should show people get knocked out and go to the hospital. And then the, the guy that punched him gets arrested and has to spend a weekend in jail and go to court and, you know, stupid stuff like that because violence has repercussions. And that's kind of the point of some of these series sometimes was if you remember how they handled Ben Affleck's case of Daredevil was, you know, he was beating the crap out of a bad guy and the, and the child of the bad guy saw him and all they saw was someone was beating up my dad. And he's like, no, kid, I'm not the bad guy. And that was like his moment of revelation of, oh, maybe I got to change my ways a little bit. And that's a, a very key instance for Daredevil specifically about how, how violence can be impactful to the story of the character, what it means to him. Okay. Now I, I, a new set of eyes are definitely going to be intrigued to see how they, they tweak the formula as we go into uh, Daredevil Reborn, which again doesn't begin filming till you know uh, February of next year. So realistically, I guess that means we're not going to see any of this Daredevil series till 2024. But I, I guess it gives me time to to wade into the Netflix show and and watch the three seasons that you you've talked so highly of. So, but we'll discuss that on a future show. But uh, in the meantime, if you know folks are going to until we get a new episode of, of Mud Up uh, online, where can they find you online? Well, go to your uh, favorite Twitter machine and uh, type in at Prod. If you peruse my pictures, you'll notice, you know, some people age like a fine wine. Mm-hmm. I myself am aging like milk. I'm just getting chunky and sour. But uh, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> 
Actually, there are two of us who are doing that. Um, okay. Well, if on the other hand, you're you're looking for us, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media. And over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. We also have a couple other podcasts here that we'd love you for you folks to check out. We, of course, have Disney Dish with Lentesta. Uh, likewise, Fine Tuning uh, with Drew Taylor and Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gunn. Beyond that, if you could do Aaron and I a favor and head over to Apple Podcasts to uh, and, and rate and recommend the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney. And, uh, and if you really, really, really like what you heard, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. On behalf of Mr. Adams, thank you for listening, and we will be back soon.